and um, it is a, a pleasure to be sharing God's Word with you this morning. Um, I'm very excited to be sharing God's Word with you. You know when like you've got some good news uh, to share with someone that you know, you know they're going to be excited to receive as if like you've just passed an exam or you've passed your driving lesson um, or you've just got some good news and you know that once you share it, they're going to receive it with joy. And uh, it's my hope and prayer that this sermon will do that for you because I'm excited because this chapter, First um, Corinthians 15, I believe is really, really at the heart of the gospel. It's really central, uh, namely the resurrection of Jesus. Um, the title of today's sermon is called Hope in the resurrection. The text is First um, Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12 to 19. And the title is called Hope in the Resurrection. And you think, what do I mean? Do I mean hope in Christ's resurrection or hope in the resurrection of the future? And hopefully what we'll see from this passage is that the two are crucially tied together. That Christ's resurrection, we're not to think of it as just some unique thing of the past that stands alone, but rather that his resurrection, as Paul says in verse 20, that he is the first fruits from among the dead. And the first fruits would imply that there's going to be a harvest. And this is really, really good news. I mean, just to think for a moment, that a man rose from the dead. I'm not talking resuscitation or some swoon theory or, I mean, he was dead. Like, no more oxygen breathe, like gone, tortured and then dead. And he came back to life. And this hope, it really changes everything. This is the hope of all hopes. I mean, what does the world hope in today when you think about it? What is the common Western American sort of hope or dream? Generally will be get a good education, um, stay out of trouble, get married, own a home, own cars, go on a few holidays, and live your best life now, which in and of itself, aren't bad things. But ultimately, ultimately, death creeps in and will swallow all those things up. And what are you left with? And you see, man's biggest problem, namely his sin, the wrath of God, which is incurred on him by his sin, and ultimately death is the biggest problem of humanity. And see, the resurrection deals with this biggest problem. It speaks. God has come into our world and addressed our biggest problem. The resurrection is central to the good news. In fact, I'd say it is the good news. And without the resurrection, there is no good news. Just going back to that hope... It, it, just want to reiterate 
it's, it's not wrong to hope for a career or a marriage or things in this life, but devoid of resurrection, devoid of resurrection hope, devoid of God, ultimately, these things just lead to idolatry. And we're all prone, because we're sinners, we're all prone to idolatry. We're prone to take our eyes off God, eyes off of resurrection hope. And we live our lives as though all there is, is now. And this is what the world teaches us. Even in our culture, as we think of the resurrection, there are beliefs or um, influencing factors that come in where at the worst they'll say that the resurrection is just fairy tale, just make-believe like, like uh, Russell, what was the guy's name again? Bertram Russell, that's, that's the guy, yeah. He, you know, he was a hardline atheist, materialist. All there is is, is is the material world. All there is is now. And so the idea of supernatural resurrection is, is make-believe. And, that, and that's what the culture will tell us at its worst. And at its best, what the culture does is it will reduce the Christianity to, to morals and good ethics and say, well, no, 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 these ancient myths have value for today and they can make you a good person. And I'm going to say that both those influencing ideas are not Christianity and do not even get to the heart of Christianity. And I would say that without the resurrection, there is no Christianity. There is no hope. But the good news is we have hope. We have hope. And I don't know what you've been hoping in today, this week, or the past year and it's my prayer that as we look at this text, that you would have an epiphany again, that your eyes would look on him who was raised, that you would recognize that because of the resurrection, we have a past where we can look back to Christ's resurrection for our hope. We have a present where his, the same spirit that raised him from the dead now dwells in us, the church. That same power dwells in us. And ultimately, we have a future where we will bodily be raised. We are the community of the new creation. Christ's resurrection is the start of the new creation. It is that big a deal. When you fully grasp it, it will change your life. It changes lives. So this is why I'm, ex I'm excited. You know, this is, this is the heart of it, and it, it is so wonderful to, to contemplate that Christ rose from the dead. So let me save some of that for the end. <laughs> right, where am I? Okay, before I read our text for today, I just want to read um, Acts 17 from verses 16. Um, by way of context, because it's always helpful when the Bible gives us some context, and this will speak into the situation at Corinth that Paul is addressing, namely about the resurrection and the resurrection of the dead. So I'm going to be reading from the ESV from verses, um, chapter 17 of Acts, verse 16. Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So we reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons, 
and in the marketplace every day with those who happen to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and they brought him to the Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new teaching is and what you are preaching. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I pass along and observe the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, what therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each of us. For in him we move, in him we live, move, and have our being. And even some of your own poets have said, For indeed, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought to think, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of all this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed among whom also were Dionysus, the Areopagite, that's a mouthful, and a woman named Damaris, and others with him. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. You see, after this, Paul went to Corinth, and Corinth is about 45 miles away, about an hour's drive, I know because I googled it. <laughs> Wouldn't be an hour's drive away if it was in London, was it? <laughs> so what we, what, we, what, we, what we see is that Corinth is very much a city that is under the influence of Athens. And we see the kind of place that Athens was. It was a culture buzzing with mass amounts of idolatry, a town buzzing with philosophers that would love to hear new ideas. And time will not allow me to go into the difference of Epicureanism and Stoics, um, also, it will just lead me down a rabbit hole. I tried to Google it and find the, their beliefs, and it's, yeah, it's a real rabbit hole. But if I can just, in a nutshell, um, let's just say they found the idea of us remaining with our bodies a bit sticky. Okay? For them, the soul was, was like trapped, and so the body was like a prison, and they would wish to 
once dead be relieved from the body. So the idea of, of being raised was like, they, they weren't feeling it. This, this weren't a good idea. And this is the culture ideas, right? This is what influences. And so this is the kind of influencing that is going into the Corinthian church and the, and the Christians there. Just like in our time, you know, we got cultural influences that shape the way we think, you know, as it relates to the resurrection or beliefs, these, these things challenge, challenge us. The Corinthians had the same things in their time. Okay, so that's the context. So let's, let's re- actually read our passage that I'm going to be preaching on, which is 1 Corinthians chapter 15 from verses 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we of all people are most to be pitied. So just to give you my sermon outline, my first section will be from verse 12. Um, no resurrection of the dead, question mark. My second section from verses 13 down to 19, the heading is seven negative consequences of denying the resurrection of the dead. And then my third section will be reversing the logic, going back from verses 19 all the way back up to verse 13. So coming back to our first section, so no resurrection of the dead, question mark. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So we can see the claim here from some of the Corinthians in this church that they're having some trouble with this idea of resurrection. The culture has, it, 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 they're finding it hard to sh- shrug off um, some of the culture. Like, you know, when we first become Christians, we find it hard to form our new identity in Christ and we still have things of this world that, that come in, uh, things that we struggle with. And Paul wants to address this because it really um, gets to the heart of the gospel. And, you know, Paul is saying that we preach Christ is crucified. This was the message we came with. This is what you believe. This was central. This was what is of first importance. What Denzel was preaching on last week from verses 1 to 11. As we read from verse 3, he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. So this is the gospel message that Paul was preaching. It wasn't just Paul, but this is what was central. So how is it that having heard this, received it, this is the gospel by which they stand on? Um, 
by which they're being saved, how is it now then that they have this belief that there is no resurrection of the dead? And so what Paul does now from verses 13 to 19 in quite compelling logic is take that belief and go, okay, let's assume this is true for a minute and let me run through the negative consequences as a result of you believing that. And I think he does it so well and there's nothing more persuasive in argumentation when someone would take your argument and say, okay, let's just assume what you're saying is true. Okay, you're saying this, so that's true. That would mean, and then he lists all these negative consequences and, and, and you're left with like, ah, oh, for real, I need to, I should really dump this idea. Okay. And so there are seven negative consequences that Paul lists. I want to go through them from verse 13. The first one being that if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ hasn't been raised. Verse 13, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Uh Uh-oh. If you're going to say that there can't be any bodily resurrection of believers, then logically you'd have to say then, Christ couldn't have been raised since you can't, you can't have this um, general rule for everyone but then ignore this singular exception for Christ since Christ was a human. Christ himself became man in the incarnation. And so I really think Paul could have just left it there and just done the whole argument. Because now they have a belief where now the foundation of the gospel, which is that Christ was raised from the dead, the old promises of the Old Testament have been fulfilled, salvation, deliverance have come, that which we now stand on for eternal life now diminishes. But Paul doesn't stop there. He continues on. Negative consequence number two, verse 14. If Christ has not been raised then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. So Paul is saying that, look, my preaching is the resurrection. This is what I preach. So if Christ has not been raised, then my preaching is in vain. And consequence number three, so is your faith. So for Paul, why go to church? Why pray? Why worship? Why read the Bible? Why spend this time disciplining yourself and striving for holiness? Paul says it's a waste of time. It's it's in vain. It's empty. It's meaningless. There's no point to it. You see, the resurrection of Jesus is why we gather on a Sunday. I mean, we gather on Sunday because Christ rose again on Sunday morning. But if there is no resurrection, our faith is in vain. Negative consequence number four. The apostles, the apostles are misrepresenting God. Verses 15. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. So now you have a charge. They have a charge now against the apostles. Because the apostles claimed 
We saw that last week. Eyewitness accounts. Life transformation happening with these disciples who claim to see the risen Jesus, but now if Christ has not been raised, then they're liars. They're actually lying. So notice, it's not just Paul. You know, remember the early argument in the earliest letter? Some belong to Apollos, some belong to Peter. Some Paul's saying, look, this, this is a central message. It's not just Paul's message. It wasn't just Paul's eyewitness to the resurrection. All the apostles have the same core foundational message that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was raised on the third day. But if he didn't die, then they're liars. So you can see the case stacking up now against this belief that there's no resurrection of the dead. I mean, what a charge to be calling the apostles liars because this is what this, this does. Negative consequence number five. You are still in your sins. Verses 16. For if Christ, uh, sorry, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Without the resurrection, the work of Christ on the cross, it wouldn't be enough. Why wouldn't it be enough? Think about it. Christ, being sinless, lives a righteous life. He's my representative. He dies on the cross, takes the wrath of God, but remains dead. So he has no power over sin. Sin still has power over him. The power of sin is it's unbroken. It still reigns. So has he defeated sin? Also, my guilt might be removed, but my problem is I need a new heart. I need a new life. I need to be delivered from this body of corruption. I need a resurrection. So Christ's death on the cross without the resurrection is meaningless. Christ was died under Jewish law as a messianic pretender. That was the charge against him. You claim to be God. You claim to be the Messiah. You're a liar, Jesus. And we've condemned you for it. And what was God's verdict of that condemnation? Raised to new life. Vindicated. That's God's declaration. Like, no, no, no. Like, he is the real deal. He holds the, the power over sin and death. And in him is salvation. That's why in, in is it Romans 4, 25, that um, he was delivered for our transgressions and raised for our justification. It is the resurrection where we have proof that we are justified before God. Since God has seen the sacrifice and gone, yes, I'm, uh, my wrath is satisfied. I am pleased. I'm happy. It is a sure guarantee that our sins are forgiven. But if Christ hasn't been raised, we're still in our sins. We're still subject to death and decay. Negative consequence number six. Those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Verse 18. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. 
You think to the stoning of Stephen, Christians who have laid their lives down and, and actually had their lives taken. You know, I recall a video in, I think it was 2015, 21 Egyptian Coptic Christians held hostage. Um, it wasn't by ISIS. It, it was a spin-off group. Um, they held them hostage, put them in orange prison gear, led them down to the beaches, had them kneel, and chopped their heads off, killed. Paul says, if there's no resurrection, pointless. They perished. They've perished. They've done it in vain. You see how key the resurrection is to our faith in the gospel. Even the term fallen asleep, which the New Testament regularly or what I say always uses of those in Christ who have died. It says they've fallen asleep, implies the notion that they're going to awake and rise again. Negative consequence number seven, we are most to be pitied. Verses 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we of all people most to be pitied. Notice Paul doesn't say, like, we're to be pitied, but people most to be pitied. In other words, it's just a waste of time. If, if we just hope in this life only, it's a complete waste of time. So, so much for the American Western dream of let's just get success and live for now. And put all our hopes in this life now, Paul would say that is a waste of time. And it's interesting that, you know, we, we, we've had like decades of new atheism just pounding the message that you Christians are, are stupid, you're silly, you're not intellectual, um, all there is is all there is now. And I think that some are starting to reject that now because some have seen the implications of the utter meaningless of that idea in life. And people have seen the kind of nihilism that brings an apathetic sort of existential crisis. I mean, we've seen how people that just consume things in this life, like famous people that actually just get it all, how they, once they reach the top, tend to just spiral because they're like, I'm famous now, I've made it. And then there's this realization that I'm still me. Actually, I don't feel any different. You know? <laughs> and it happens all the time. And this is what idolatry will do to you. If you just live for now, there's this frustration that, that, that happens because we, weren't, we were made for more than this. And the resurrection, it speaks of a new creation that has come now but yet to come in the future so we see how compelling this argument's been and how Paul has kind of just smashed the ball out the ballpark you know what I mean it's like Corinthians must be at this point be like okay cool like all right Paul we got it <laughs> like, we got it right but I think we ought to reverse this logic since 
Paul is just, just taking that as true for a moment. But the reality is, as he says in verse 20, um, and I won't read all that verse since I'm not preaching on that, but he says, but in fact, Christ has been raised. Christ has been raised. Which means, right, because Christ has been raised, rather than us being the most pitied, okay, because Christ has been raised, we are most to be jealous of. Right? When you think about people might ridicule you for your faith or not understand when you decide, you know what, I'm not going to have another drink. I'm going to go home early because I can see things are going to get messy. Or you lose out on those friends or that friendship or family misunderstands you because of your faith in Christ. Right? On that last day, when you are bodily raised and they look at you, they're going to go, wow. And they are going to be jealous of you. So rather than us being most pitied, we're most to be jealous of. Not only do we have Christ's presence with us now, the same spirit that rose him from the dead is living in us, okay? Not only do we have God working out all things for our good, okay, in this life, right? But we have a resurrection hope of the future. I mean, we are most to be jealous of because Christ has been raised. Because Christ has been raised, those who have fallen asleep in Christ, they haven't perished. Our dear sister Fiona, who went to be with the Lord this year, she is well. She is kept in the risen Savior's arms, awaiting that day where we will meet her again and other people that you know who have died in the Lord. They haven't perished. Those Christians who were, had their heads beheaded on the beaches, they are well. They have not perished because Christ has risen. Because Christ has raised from the dead, our sins have been... F- because Christ has raised from the dead, our sins are forgiven. Okay, we can be, we can be assured that the wrath of God due on my sin has been met And God's verdict was vindication. It says in, is it 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16, that the Spirit vindicated Jesus by raising him from the dead. You know, the resurrection, what we have even now is is a foretaste of the resurrection to come. Because Christ has been raised from the dead, the apostles can be trusted. You know, these men had their lives utterly transformed by the gospel. The whole New Testament is birthed out of resurrection. You know, what made Paul travel from land and sea was the idea that he said, the new creation has come. And I'm taking this to the nations. I'm taking this everywhere. People need to know That the promises of God have come. Because Christ is risen, our faith is not in vain. 
This is why we go to church. This is why we pray. We have Jesus living with us, his active presence with us now. Because Christ is raised from the dead, our preaching is not in vain. And this is the center and core of the gospel that Christ has raised and that we, by union with him, will also be raised, that our sins have been forgiven and we have been reconciled and with the Father. We have relationship with God. We have eternal life. And that eternal life, it's begun now. And it will continue on. And lastly, because Christ has been raised, the dead will be raised. And this is our, our future. Um, in conclusion, I want to um, I want to quote a quote from a journalist called Peter Hitchens. And there's a festival called the Festival of Dangerous Ideas. And this is a festival I think they meet yearly where journalists and uh, thinkers come together and discuss popular theories and politics. And generally it's like ideas that change the course of history and stuff. And, and they was, in Australia, they were running something called a Q&A, like question time, like, like you have on BBC One. It was that same sort of audience as a question. They have a panel. And on this panel, it was quite a diverse group. You know, you had um, Jermaine Greening. I think she's like an old school British feminist. You had like a homosexual comedian. I can't remember the other lady. And you had Peter Hitchens. And after, at the end... The last question was this. Someone asked this question and said, which so-called dangerous idea do you think would have the greatest potential to change the world for the better if it were implemented? And then when they got to Peter Hitchens, this was his answer. The most dangerous idea in human history and philosophy remains the belief that Jesus Christ was the Son of God and rose from the dead. And that is the most dangerous idea you will ever encounter. And then the host, puzzled by his answer, asked him to explain. Like, oh, you can't just leave it there, explain. And he says, the reason it's the most dangerous, because it alters the whole of human behavior and all our responsibilities. It turns the universe from a meaningless chaos into a design place in which there is justice and where there is hope. And therefore, we all have a duty to discover the nature of that justice and work towards that hope. It alters us all. If you reject it, it alters us all as well. It is incredibly dangerous. That's why so many people turn against it. Okay. So this is the, the idea I'm trying to, trying to leave with you that um, I don't know what your hope's been in this week or this year. Um, but what I want to fix your eyes on is resurrection hope. To put your eyes on Jesus. To know that do you live as though you're going to live forever? You know, or do you just live in the moment? Because I'm telling you, there is a difference between someone with resurrected hope and someone who doesn't have resurrected hope. One buys a house, the other one buys a house. But there's a completely different motivation. The one who has resurrected hope, he buys his house and he recognizes that this is for the new creation. 
This is for the kingdom. Yeah? And if he loses his house, no problem. I mean, you know. <laughs> Where the, the other person who's just accumulating for this life, if he loses that house, devastation. And so this message of resurrection and new creation, when you let it sink in, has the power to completely change your life. I mean, how many of us have had our lives changed by the resurrection power of Jesus? How many of us in our church have testimonies that would just stun you about where God took us from hopeless places of addictions and battling with sin and hopeless places of depression and darkness where the gospel came to us and we saw something else. Now, in my personal devotions, I've been reading the parables in all, all the synoptics. And one of the things that's been hitting me with the parables, especially with that parable of um, the hidden treasure, you know, the kingdom of God's like the one who he found this treasure and he buries it and then he's willing to sell everything he has to have it. You know, that's the power of, of resurrection, of the, of the kingdom to come, that when you fully grasp it, you're willing to give up everything to have it. This is what you want. This is the world you're living for now. Um, you know, I remember when I was at Cornhill and one of the students that, um, I won't name him, but he was a billionaire. Not a millionaire, a billionaire, right? And here he was at Cornhill, right? He, I, I don't know his complete financial circumstances now, whatever, but even just the fact of, like, he's at Cornhill learning the gospel and how to preach the gospel. You know, why isn't he just living for now? You know, you're a billionaire. Go and live. That's what the world would tell you, right? But you see, he's got resurrection hope. And he's like, I don't need the billions. I don't need them. I've got something. You can't buy this. You can't earn it. You can't buy resurrection. You could inherit the whole world. You could have it all now. But, folks, the resurrection of Christ is central to the gospel. And if, we, if he wasn't raised, we don't have the gospel but he was raised. Um, let me end there and, and, and pray. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.